Hello and welcome to Everything Preacher. My name is Justin Blizzard. I'm here with Keith Krepko and Rob Adams. We're currently watching AMC's Preacher, and tonight we are talking about episode nine. Finish the song. We'll do our general impressions. Keith, what do you think of the episode? Uh, general impression was I liked it. It's uh, now kind of full on camp. Um, the tonal shifts of the characters was now the the hardest thing to take. But I think that I've been able to fully transition my brain and expectations for the show. So, yeah. So in our text thread, you said, I think after you watched the episode, that you had been watching the show wrong the entire time. What did you mean by that? And why did it take you nine hours to figure that out? <laughs> well, I think, I think, number one, I was wrong because... <laughs> If you listen to what I said last episode, pretty much everything that I said, those speculation <laughs> was completely wrong. And it was it was ridiculous. It was just like point after point after point in this episode <laughs> proved me completely wrong. Uh-huh. And so it kind of showed me that I was really addressing the show uh, on different terms than how the show was delivering because uh, my expectations were way off. Mm hmm. My predictions were way off. So I think this one, I know that I claimed it last episode and I was completely wrong. I was fooling myself. I, <laughs> I did not make enough of a shift that I needed to. But this, this time, I think I get it. You know, we're in a universe where Jesse wants to be a preacher. Sure. And he hurts some people, but he's going to make it okay with an apology. Mm-hmm. And so we just need to. Roll with those punches because the show's delivering something else. And, uh, and if you can get on board, I think it's doing, it's doing what it's setting out to do well, well enough to take enjoyment in. Um, but it definitely is not the show that I, I thought it was even as of last week. Well, to build off of that a little bit, I think the show's tone has been a little all over the place. It the, This episode felt campier to me than the other episodes have felt overall. And I do feel like it's appropriate for the characters and the story they're telling, right? Like, doing a very serious kind of dour <clears throat> version of this story is would be i don't know hard or not interesting maybe or just unbelievable mm-hmm. whereas when they are not taking themselves as seriously as they did in this episode it 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 works a lot better for me at least i like the episode a lot uh that i feel like the Rob, I know you have a problems with the ending, and I did too to a to a point. Uh, but ultimately, I kind of looked past it. But I, I liked the episode; I, I thought it was good. It, I do feel like the tone continues to sort of jump back and forth. Mm-hmm. The, you know, episodes two and three were very kind of straightforward, and as compared to this episode, which is pretty over the top in all mm-hmm. aspects. Mm-hmm. Uh, it felt a little off to me. Yeah. Um, there were some characters where I didn't understand their motivations, why they did what they did, Hugo Root and Emily. And um, maybe Tulip a little bit. I just um, had a little trouble with the tone, I guess. Yeah, I think... Oh, and the agents, the, um, the agents, they st- started acting strange all of a sudden. Maybe they're, like, dejected that they weren't able to complete their mission. Um, but it just, it felt off. Yeah. I think you, the, the, you hit the nail on the head with Emily and, and Hugo Root, I think definitely have the biggest <laughs> turns in this episode and, and not necessarily, uh, founded, right? They seem a little out of nowhere. Uh, so let's talk about the Saint of Killers or I guess since he doesn't have a name in the show, the, the cowboy. cowboy, he's been in a couple of the cold opens. He's in the cold open of this episode, right? Yes. This the so this episode opens with the bar massacre. He shows up at the bar, shoots everybody, mm-hmm. right, and then cuts the guy has the guy's head off, mm-hmm. which I was not expecting. Uh, and then 
<clears throat> standard preacher cold open, right? We go into the show. And then at the end of the episode, we start seeing all of these opens replayed over and over and over and over again. And it's revealed that he is in hell, right? He is in his own version of hell. And this sequence of events is his penance for being a sinner, I guess. I don't know, for not being a good guy, apparently. Uh, so, Rob, I know you, you, you've said you did not like the ending. It really bothered, really bothered you. So let's just jump right into it and talk about the ending. Why did you not like the ending it's, of the it's, episode? It's more than I don't like it. It's I absolutely hated the ending. Uh-huh. Don't waste my time. I've seen this. And maybe it's because I've watched the, the episodes again, but I felt like the, you have to trust the audience. You're throwing out these crazy themes and these crazy ideas, and you're showing us little snippets here and there for us to pick up on, but yet you have to give us a 10-minute replay of something that we've seen. And not only that, then we saw the beginning of the episode a second time, and how many times do we have to see that guy's like fall off his horse? Did we see it 17 times? It, it was really, it was excessive. It was entirely too long. There's too much that I want to see and I want to have happen. And I had to spend 10 minutes rewatching this stuff. And I, I get it. I mean, at, at first I'm like, did something happen to my recording? This is very strange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why? Because it was, it, it wasn't changed at all. It yeah. was the same exact open. That we've seen, and then I started to see, okay, it was edited, and it started very, you know, like, very long, it was the entire scene, and then they they would cut it down, and cut it down, and cut it down, and cut it down, and I think they could have had the same impact in half the time, and I really felt like we got cheated. That's why I didn't like it. Yeah, I was going to ask, so would you have felt better about it if maybe... hmm. Because it was definitely, I, I had the same feeling watching the, I mean, you literally watch every single one of his scenes stitched together at yep. full length. And so by the end of that, I was kind of thinking like, all right, like I've seen all this stuff before. And then it's revealed uh, that he's in hell. That's why you're replaying these things. but. I I almost felt like they would have been better served just doing the speed up thing that they end up doing at the end. And like you said, at which point I feel like 99% of the audience would have got it. You know, they're definitely taking a chance by replaying all that stuff over again, but it also felt like this is the second to last episode of your season and you don't have anything exactly. better to do with your time than show us 10 minutes of literally 10 minutes of stuff we've watched before like yes unedited it just seemed like a weird decision ultimately it didn't i it doesn't hurt my viewing of that episode because i guess i'm fine with it because it is being done with a very specific purpose but while i was watching it i was definitely like like what is the I get the. I kept watching the clock. Like, how long yeah. is this gonna go on? Yeah, no, I did the same thing too because I was watching online, so I could see how much time was left in the episode. And I was like, "Are they really gonna spend the next fifteen minutes doing this?" I think it was an hour and five minutes, right? So maybe the extra five minutes that we got was this. So maybe we got a full episode, but the the extraneous five minutes was the repetition. Um, I just thought it was a bit much. Um, I did like the scene where he went in and he massacred all the people. I thought that I thought that was fun to watch. Um, I and I was like, okay, there's the girl. She's trying to help somebody in the back. I was like, he's not going to shoot her. I mean, he right? I mean, he's just going to shoot the bad guys and he's going to leave. But no, he shot every single one of them. And um, so the portrayal of him being, you know, bad. You know, I'm down. He's bad. Yeah, I. Well, going back really quickly, because I just referencing the Preacher Entire podcast, you guys didn't notice all the little details of him grabbing his hat, gun, and then vest <laughs> one one playback and then doing 
the reverse order the next you guys didn't appreciate the subtle uh, I didn't actually the subtle changes and i didn't listen to that podcast either once i realized all they were going to be talking about was editing i was just like i don't need to listen to this yeah well they they, they did do minor changes mm-hmm. in some of the sure the replays just to give you the sense of he's in hell um you know i i tend to agree that they got a little too carried away maybe by saying like let's make our audience feel like what it would be like to be stuck in this hell. Not to, not to just say, Oh, we get it. He's replaying it, but really give it to them for enough time that they would get frustrated and kind of get a sense of what that would be like. If you just had to relive, you know, the same horrible stretch of days, uh, for all eternity. Um, but apparently, yeah, I, I agree. Those subtleties seem like a poor uh, prize for Does what they make you go through. He's in hell. Is that why he takes that drink at the end of each one? Because he's kind of like, here we go. No, it, you know, to me too, it was such a obvious because I referenced it at the first in the first flashback, the Gunslinger series. This cowboy's story is eerily close to the gunslinger story. That's maybe the one piece of, uh, like that's the one point of pride I can take in this episode is that maybe I was right in their gunslinger references when they referenced their cowboy. Um, but yeah, his story just pretty much portrays the gunslinger story and the gunslinger was not aware. So I, I kind of get the sense that he, he himself is not aware uh, other, other than maybe just his general malaise. Hmm. What do you think, Justin? Uh, I, I mean, my gut reaction was that he knew he was in hell. I didn't, but I haven't thought about it. But, but I mean, for, for me, then it becomes a question of motivation because mm-hmm. he still plays out. And what I thought was funny in the podcast is they were like, see, we, we made, some minor you know changes in his routine just to kind of show you that he can't really change these outcomes but i was like if he knows he's in hell and his theory is what if i grab my gun first (laughs) if that's his theory for maybe i can change everything then that's a that's uh that's not the way that i would approach it maybe he should try running Or having his horse gallop instead of walking everywhere. Maybe he should bring his sick daughter along. Or maybe he (laughs) should just refuse altogether. Maybe he should just get over with and just start by shooting himself. I mean, you know, there's ways that if it was Groundhog Day that he would carry that awareness through. This is more of just like a Sisyphus, right? Um, uh, You know, kind of uh, punishment. So are is the are we supposed to under not understand? Um, are, are we supposed to believe that he they're gonna get, take him out of hell if he kills the preacher for them? Is that was that the? Hmm. That's a good question. That the thing. Yeah, they're I mean, gonna what, unleash him now. How how they still have a portal out of that place has yet to be seen. But it was just a bus, right? He's just, he's just, what he's just idling. <laughs> yeah. He's letting the meter run. He's just sitting outside the bar. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously I think, yeah, they, they are, they are breaking into his hell and saying, here's your ticket out. Yeah. Well, and see how they, that's kind of why I thought maybe he knows he's there because he wasn't surprised when they came down the steps. I don't know. Yeah, that's what doesn't I was going to say. Much, he, doesn't make much sense He didn't to me. seem surprised. And if he didn't know he was repeating himself in hell, why would he be changing things up? Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> again, I'm the one who watches the show with the wrong expectations and the wrong approach. <laughs> so I, granted, I, I should probably concede this point altogether. But I, w- I will say that I took it more as a passive knowledge, you know? It's it's kind of like he knows deep down that something's wrong with this world, that, you know, he feels futile against the way things are playing out. 
And maybe there's some knowledge at the end, but maybe it's a knowledge they only gets at the end, like a full knowledge, and then it resets. But I don't see how at the reset he he would fully know that he's in hell. So I think it's I think it's something a little more complex. It's a dawning knowledge as as everything goes on, or it's just a passive knowledge. That's that's my that's my argument. It's kind of a paradox. It's I think it's unknowable because if he does know, why doesn't he change? And and if he doesn't know, then why would he be interested in it in the first place? It's like the, yeah. Yeah. So I had one question, one more question about this I want to ask both of you. If this is what hell is in, in this show, repeating sort of the worst moment of your life, is... What would my moment be? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we know, or at least we're assuming that Eugene is in hell. Is he in hell right now replaying the steps of his murder-suicide yes. with the girl? Mm-hmm. And are we going to see that? Yes. Only if, if he's aware of what happens after, because if he's just repeating the, Hey, I'm going to kill that girl and then kill myself and then feel like that's the end that I don't think that's bad enough. It has to be, he knows what's going to happen and has knowledge of, uh, of what happens later, you know, mm-hmm. that she's going to be comatose for that scene to have the full effect. I think it would be more of, him waking up and realizing what he did. I think that would be even worse hell you know, to, to constantly every single day, wake up. You're a lot, you're alive, you know, the love of your life or whatever, you know, is, is comatose. So I think something like that would be, and it would also be probably easier to film. My prediction then is that at some point <laughs> in season two, I guess, Mm-hmm. I don't think this is happening in the finale. We will see Eugene in hell pre Arseface. Huh. That's a good we one. We'll see him become Arseface. That's a good one. I like it. So That's very interesting. while the cowboy is in hell, the Blanc and Fior show up. That's right. Yeah, that's who we were talking about. Okay, go on. Uh, they have a pretty significant role in this episode. They are a lot more than just kind of uh, sort of side players. And uh, Rob, I think, Rob, you said you, you felt that they were a little bit off. They felt off because they were so lovey-dovey. Yeah. Were they trying to throw it down our face that that's what it is? Yeah. Um, I, I, like It's all, it's it seems like... They, the, um, the showrunners have decided not to trust us anymore <laughs> all of a sudden in this episode. Uh-huh. Um, so they got to give us all these, these hints. And I thought that was pretty cool. You know, Reddit came up with that stuff about them being the parents. I came up with, you know, on a, the with angel him, and demon you know, thing, angel and demon. Yeah. Um, and then they, they hit us with the deer stuff and the, he's not going anywhere. You know, he wanted to spend, you know, five minutes in the back with the travel agent or whatever for, for payment. Um, they, they just seemed a little weird, but is that because every other time we see them, they're, they're focused on their work and what they're, what, what it's supposed to be. And now they're just like completely, you know, out of options. And now we're seeing the, the real, the Blanc and Fior. I'm not sure, but they, they seemed off to me. Did you guys, well, what did you think? I, I felt like I had a much more cynical approach in that this was a reveal that the creators and writers just wanted to keep a secret by just not showing them be affectionate at all together. You know, in, in any other situation, they didn't use pet names for each other and then all of a sudden in one episode they're practically fawning over each other and jealous of you know one another and don't want to be separated um when you think that that might have come out when one of them has been killed before by someone else that they'd be a little more protective 
But I guess the killing doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, but 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 that they would have some sort of a reaction to it, you know, um, because they they obviously feel emotion for each other, but they're so blank in every other episode except for this one. So I just felt like it was just a a cheap way of withholding information by yeah, not writing right. them that way until now. I can, yeah, I, I think it's disagree. Lame. Okay, please. I think that. It's being handled really well. First of all, let me just say that. This episode included? (laughs) Yeah, this episode included. I think what it is, honestly, is, again, something that we've talked about a lot tonight in in this podcast, but especially earlier on Best of Three. I think because this show is being watched week by week and people have time to dissect everything, we're expecting it now. Whereas if, if I had, if I was not doing this podcast, if I was not looking at the subreddit, if I had never heard Rob, you talk about this idea that, that one is an angel, one is a demon. I would have never picked up on any of that stuff. And the, the, probably the only thing that would have seemed out of place to me would have been the moment in the last episode where one of them is defensive about how the other one's talking to Genesis. And in this episode, when one of, when DeBlanc calls Fjord dear, and that's still two instances across two separate episodes, uh, the kind of hinting at this happening back to back at the very end of the, uh, at the very end of the season again, but you yourself just said you're being cynical about it. That is a cynical take on it. Okay. So that's, I mean, it, it reads to me as a pretty well played, I mean, what's the other option? The other option is they show up and in their very first scene, they're holding hands or, you know, just being like, I'm Genesis is mom and I'm Genesis dad, or I guess they're both dads. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, how else do they play it? Is it just inherently wrong for them to try and keep it a secret? Yeah, I think they could have. They could have um, done everything they, that they did this week, lose the deer comment, and we'd still be on board, and it wouldn't have seemed as if it went too far. Yeah, I think, I think you know, we're, we're talking about shades, right? Like, I think Rob feels like it's just a little too obvious in the sure. writing, and you, and you feel like, you know, just, but I mean, we end up at the same destination, and, and I, I, and I'm doubling down on Rob's saying that, yeah, I think there's almost like a cynical, like, we're going to make this a surprise because we literally are not going to write them this way until the very end. But, you know, even with my approach, people figured it out. Even with as little to go on as people had, mm-hmm. they, they kind of sussed it out. Furthermore, we, we figured it out in the face of adversity from people like you, Mr. <laughs> Keith. <laughs> That's true. See, I got, I, I was wrong. I was, there's a lot that I was wrong about. And these writers, I owe them all a, uh, a big apology. Um, and I, I listened to a podcast called Hollywood handbook. <laughs> Justin, do you still listen to that? Uh huh. And did you listen to the last episode where they talk about um, squeezies for sweeties? Was that the one? I think they just released one today or yeah. this week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they give people a big digital hug through the podcast. Right. And so I just feel like I, I love need to hugs. Give, yeah. I just want to give a digital <laughs> hug to all the writers out there who are putting in good hard work uh, in writing their episodes of Preacher. And... Uh, you know, here's a here's a big digital hug from me to you. I hope you can feel it. A pat on the back, a little uh, attaboy sure. to top it off, and uh, keep up the good work because I completely misunderestimated. Uh, wait, Keith, I didn't underestimated. Think you was I didn't misunderestimate. What? It's not even a word. All right, <laughs> underestimated you. Okay, go on, Rob. I just said I didn't take you as a hugger. Well, I'm a digital hugger. <laughs> real life you get a, a punch in the arm <laughs> you know I, I listened to a podcast it's called the preacher insider podcast 
And it turns out I don't like knowing how the sausage is made. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying. This this last podcast was basically all about the editing, and I turned it off after maybe ten minutes just because uh, wasn't interested in that. Some of the other ones I've listened to have been mm-hmm. different conceptually. They've talked about you know uh, what they're going for, ideas behind the encounters and stuff like that. Yeah, I like that that some of them progress where you see people who are like whoever their guest is, they're like, this is my favorite episode mm-hmm. where you transition from light to dark in the same, like you have to end up making it so specific. Cause you can't say that like, this is my favorite episode period. It's always like, this is my favorite episode from a lighting standpoint, because we have the head of lighting here uh, on the podcast. Yeah. What turned me off was they were mentioned, they were talking about the uh, setting up the school bus scene and um, I think it's, is it episode three, two, is it two, three or four where they have that paintball thing and then the girl falls down the well mm-hmm. where they're trying to set up just how creepy, you know, the town was in there and they tried to get two school buses. There's only one school bus driver. So it feels like I, I feel back to Keith's point last week. I feel like I am more invested in the storyline than the writers are. Because they're putting this stuff in there, and and I'm giving it more importance than they do. And, and yeah, I'm they're with, doing it for mood. And when that happened, and I realized that, I had to stop listening because I don't want that. I want this show to be what it's been for us, you know, being able to talk about that stuff. And I don't need to know the nitty gritty details. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like another moment that probably speaks to uh, your both of yours problems with the uh, Fior and DeBlanc relationship or dynamic is the travel agency scene mm-hmm. with the bizarre proposition, <laughs> right? And, I liked that scene. Okay. I liked- I liked all the pieces. I liked the proposition because that's when I was like, all right, I'm on it. Right. Um, also, aren't they one is wearing white and one is wearing black in that scene. And there's kind of sure. like a little. Um, oh, no, that, that may have been the scene where they're flipping, <laughs> flipping the flipping, flipping the, the coin. coin. Mm-hmm. Love that scene, too. Right. Um, I love the comic books expression, maybe because I'm that guy. I've had to give up my comic books. Um, I thought all that stuff was cool. It was. I think it was the deer that was kind of like mm-hmm. that put it over the top. But the, I thought the travel agency was cool. Yeah, and speaking of the comic books, someone on Reddit pointed out what I thought was a very interesting uh, take on the comic scene was that we, we find out that that giant trunk that uh, Fjord's dragging around is just full of comics. And he says... Something like uh, he can't take his comics, or or the other. Uh, DeBlanc says you'll have to leave your comics here, and the the uh person, the user on Reddit, is basically theorizing that that is a more or less uh, directed at the audience, saying from this point forward we're telling our own story, and we're kind of from this point forward. <laughs> well. Even more so, even maybe, more so, a, a symbolic, a right. symbolic leaving behind of, or maybe well, it just is a very general. We're telling our own story, like, right? You'll well, have to read it like that, but that's hot. That's awesome. If props to them, if the writers did that on purpose, more air hugs for me. Sure. Did you uh, maybe a little smooch, a little sure, smooch man. on the cheek? <laughs> um, did you pick up on the Breaking Bad reference of that location? It seemed like it was frame for frame, like that. Ex- yep. Like, it didn't even have a trunk and everything, and the bus pulled up, and the dog yeah, running across the street. Yeah, I think yeah. it was. Yeah, I think it was an exact replica of that scene in Breaking Bad. Yeah, it felt very deja vu. And little the were, were we to know that we were going to have a lot more deja vu in a couple minutes. Ten minutes of deja vu. Yeah. Uh. So also, tangentially tied into uh, DeBlanc and Fior. Towards the end of the episode, we see Hugo Root 
discover the disarticulated angel or uh yeah she's an angel right yeah in the bathtub and she 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 uh she begs for him to kill her and he does Mm -hmm. strangles her in a fit of rage and what i could only well well i mean I, i took it i read it as uh it just felt like he it felt like a a pent up yeah rage like he's mm, sure. an angry frustration. guy frustration yeah, yeah absolutely. and that's how i took it how did you read it then well i i took it as more of a response to the you know his impotence of of losing eugene and now here's a man who you know has lost his son and is seeing you know Another hurt soul, uh, hurt hurt body, His arms and legs. <laughs> yeah, she's beyond hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I think that he's responding out of his impotence of an inability of finding Eugene, and just being like, it's better that she would go in the same way that he's trying to justify and come to terms with Eugene being gone. Because she's not going to have a good life in the same way that Eugene did not have a good life. And it's more about feelings. It's, it is more to do with his feelings about Eugene than it does with his anger uh, or his, his you know, nature as being an angry person. It could be that because he sees um, Tracy comatose he sees his wife you know we don't know what's wrong with her they don't have real lives right would it be better for them if they didn't make it through whatever they went through it could be something like that but i saw it less of a mercy killing and more of a an outlet for frustration he's crying by the end Um, though right i mean he's he's not he he is he is crying um but he was very angry when he was when red. he was strangling. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm standing by it. Ed sure, and um, and they they blew their budget somewhere else, right, guys? I'm not sure. <laughs> In what sense? Because that was terrible. Because it like she looked terrible. Oh, the way she looked. I, yeah. I could see her damn arms. <laughs> 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 I didn't look too closely. Um, do you remember in the first Saul where you can see, see that the guy's foot is painted black? <laughs> really? Well, it's, it's the same thing. It's terrible. <laughs> like, and once you see it, you can't unsee it. In uh, this one made me think of. I think I instinctively looked away because when I knew we were going to see her, it immediately made me think of the guy from from Seven that they find. Remember it's underneath been so the bed long since I've watched seven. Oh, it's been too long. It's one of the most terrifying uh, things I've ever Rob, seen. You've seen that recently though, right? Yeah. Right. The, the, the guy underneath the bed. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Much, much, much worse, but yeah. Yeah. That's right. So I didn't even want to see it. I, that guy from seven has filled my uh, <laughs> cup. I'm, it's overflowing on the disarticulation and, torture but the takeaway from that i guess ultimately is that this uh angel bounty hunter is back alive and well yeah i like that she stood in the doorway like i was like is that her so either she's looking at him to give him a chance to be like here's your chance to turn around see him okay and forgive yourself i'm gonna give you 10 seconds um so either she's doing that or she was contemplating killing him. Or they just liked framing her behind him. <laughs> you know what else I can't unsee? That she's a stunt woman. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, all right. Well, continuing on. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's fine. Tangent City tonight. Jesse uh, goes on what I am calling the Jesse Custer apology tour. And he starts apologizing to Cassidy. He apologizes to Tulip's voicemail, at least. He apologized to Eugene last episode. Uh-huh. 
So he's making he's making uh amends. He's making amends. Uh breaks out of the cop car. He eats breakfast with the homeless people. We we've never seen those people, right? I don't think so. I did not recognize them. Okay. In my in, in the notes I wrote that for a second I thought is this the couple he was giving marriage counseling to where he told them to like follow their hearts and then maybe end be patient, right? Oh, oh yeah. No. Didn't he say be patient yeah. with them? I'm sorry. Yeah. Not time. follow your hearts. He said be patient. Like, and somehow that command to be patient led to them being homeless. Yeah. I don't think enough time has passed for that to happen. <laughs> right. Unless they yeah, did the exact three days. opposite and like <laughs> sunk all of their money into one thing. Yeah. And lost it all. Right. I didn't know homeless people got to eat pancakes. (laughs) Well, that that was the thing. It was kind of weird. So it made me think, like, did he marriage counsel these people? Or are they, like, does he know them? But I just never went back to to follow up. They knew him, so it was a little strange. Yeah. I wonder if they, but nothing's on Reddit about them appearing previously. I didn't see anything. Okay. So Jesse finds Cassidy after Cassidy has killed. killed miles and sucked his butt which we'll talk about in a little bit uh apologizes to cassidy what did you guys make of his apology to cassidy standard fair stuff anything spectacular about it uh i like that he downplays his role to the point where in his apology cassidy has to end up being the one who basically apologizes to him <laughs> like it's just a, it's such a funny turn where jesse's like Look, I'm kind of responsible for everything that's happened to you. I'm sorry. But just by saying, yeah, I didn't do enough, he makes Cassie then have to be like, you did more than enough. It's my (laughs) fault. And I just thought that that was a funny, like, twist. And I was just like, just let Jesse be wrong and apologize. So that they are congenial at all means that he did at least put him out, right? Yeah, Cassie references that. Yeah, he says he, okay. yeah, he, he says, Cassidy says he put him out, but then Jesse is like, yeah, well, I didn't do it fast enough or something like that. He's like, the important thing okay. is you did it. So I let him suffer for a little bit. That's right. I'm sorry. He uh, calls Tulip, leaves her a voicemail. Uh, and then we end up the episode. We end the episode with. Did Tulip, did Tulip was she listening to that live? Or I think so. Leave hearing the, the message he was leaving. At oh, that I don't know. I don't know. I wish that they would. I think it was a, sorry. No, yeah, I was just gonna say, I wish they would have like had the phone there and had her interact with, like just turn it off or whatever. Cause I was like, am I just hearing like a superimposed message yeah. that she's going to hear later? Or is that currently she has on speakerphone? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a voicemail, right? It has yeah, to be on speakerphone. Like, she's not carrying around an answering machine with her. Well, well I mean, but, but it's not speakerphone. Yeah. I mean, she, she'd have to like see the voicemail, put it on speakerphone and then listen to it. With Carlos, it just seemed a weird thing to let Carlos hear. Like, hey, I'm about to kill yeah, you. Well, we'll talk listen, about that. Yeah, listen to uh, Jesse and me make up. We, That's why I didn't think that she was listening to it at that point. I think that was showing, okay, this is where Jesse is. This is where Tulip is. Jesse's saying this stuff. We think she's listening, but she's really focused on Carlos, and um, she's going to hear about it soon. That's what I think. Yes. Uh it's the episode. So at the end of the episode, Jesse and Cassidy are digging up Fjorn LeBlanc's LeBlanc. I keep calling him LeBlanc, like Matt LeBlanc. <laughs> it's all over the notes too. LeBlanc everywhere. His name is Dublanc, right? I call him Fjorn LeBlanc. I call it with an L. Oh, is it LeBlanc it or is it Dublanc? I don't know what oh it is for, for. Yeah, I say it with an L. I have no idea. I don't remember. The he only took one hand. Yeah. So that, yeah, they dig up the body to get the angel hands for the angel phone. But how, my question is, how did Jesse get the angel phone? When did that happen? Cassidy took it. When did Cassidy take it? Jesse took it because he's hiding it as he's running around. Like you see Yeah, he's the one that shows it to Cassidy. He's got it like, but he's got it in his jacket even when he's eating pancakes. Remember, he's like, like skulking around the city and stuff. And it's in his, it's on his person at that point. We just didn't know what it was until towards the very, very end when we knew it was missing. I just want to know how he got it. 
I never knew he had. Well, he that knew what room it was in. Yeah, I guess. I guess and so. They, and they also showed that um, no one's been in the room. <laughs> Clearly, right? <laughs> That's true. <clears throat> it is the Blanc with a D. Okay. I'm an idiot. Hey, look! Blame I him. in all of I wrote down LeBlanc ten times in the notes. <laughs> I've been doing the same thing. My thought is he only got one hand. If one of them's a demon, what if he has the Blanc's hand and not Fior's hand, and then he can't call God? I thought about that too, but I'm also imagining it just being like, "Hey, this doesn't work because you're just holding a severed hand." <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. When Jesse said, I can get you angel hands, I never in a million years thought they were going to dig up those old dead bodies. Um, I mean, that makes perfect sense, but that's not where I was. I was like, I had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah, no, I was in the same place. I thought, I thought the same thing. The last two characters that we get a lot of time with in this episode is, is Tulip and Emily. So they start off the show together. Right, I can't remember exactly now what they were doing. Oh, um, Tulip calls Emily to come over to feed Cassidy because I guess Tulip is finally fed up and she's ready to go take on Carlos. But the thing that continues to bother me about this dynamic, and it it's, gets really bad in this episode is that these two women characters are only on the show to serve the male characters. They have, I mean, this entire uh, sequence is all about the male characters and the, even the, um, some of the theories as to why Emily does to Miles what she does to Miles is because she's so <laughs> infatuated with Jesse, which... I'm not dismissing as a possibility. It just seems like poor character motivation to me. Right. And what in her character have we seen that shows that she could be so callous as to just, okay, he's a vampire. All right. Got it. Right. Okay. I'm going to feed him um, my boyfriend. My, okay. We're not boyfriends, but we can pretend uh, my casual sex mate. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, what, that felt really off to me. Sorry. No, no, no. That that was something that I was left finally saying, yeah, this is, we're in a show about moments more than about depth of character that you can really kind of dig into because, you know, I, I was comparing that moment to uh, the Americans just I know you don't watch the Americans. Rob, do you watch the Americans? Not since the first season. So, I mean, the, the Americans is basically a show about Russian spies. And they do terrible things. They've killed people. I get the sense, though, that this show is committing to its idea and its characters. And they're not going to, like, sail off in the sunset. You know? This is not going to end well. Even though they are our main characters. Um, they're who we've been following pretty much exclusively since, you know, episode one. So when I look at preacher, you see characters who I'm supposed to be kind of rooting for who are murdering people, or at least in the case of Tulip showing themselves willing to be to, to murder an innocent cop mm -hmm. because they were speeding. And I'm still meant to like, be okay with them and be on their side. And that to me is the distinct difference here. The Americans give, gives me a sense that I am supposed to be with these characters, but not on their side. I'm supposed to be following along their, with their story. But in Preacher, I'm just supposed to be like, you know, amazed at what just happened, you know, mm -hmm. and kind of rolling with it. Um, I got the sense that the most I could do for Emily is the phone call that she had with Miles when she's first going into Cassidy's room and he's kind of like dictating to her the terms of their relationship. Mm -hmm. He's kind of saying like, hey, I'm coming over tonight. You're letting me spend the night, you know, 
that's what's happening. And it was kind of, I think, signaling to her and to us that Miles had turned a corner. Mm-hmm. They was no longer a sympathetic or good character. Now, does that mean that he deserves to get brutally eaten <laughs> by a by a vampire? Mm-hmm. And then basically have everyone who comes across and be like, shrug. Oh, well, it's mm-hmm. just stupid Miles, you know? Uh, so I just ended up rolling with it and just being like, yeah, this is not concerned that I dig into these character moments and implications. I'm just supposed to be like, Anvil is a screwed up place. All the people are compromised. And this is how people get by. These are the decisions that they're going to have to make. Mm -hmm. I think the thematic connection comes in uh, with, and and you wrote this down in the notes, Keith, but she was what she was watching on TV was Psycho. Yeah, was it Psycho? I yeah. can't remember. And the uh, the dialogue is about the uh, is about feeling trapped. Mm-hmm. So obviously she feels trapped by Miles, and she's at one point had the upper hand when she, when they were just sleeping together. But she was uh, yeah, she's lost that able to keep her ditch her her distance, and she's lost that control, and she feels trapped. And the best explanation I saw on Reddit, because to me, the ex, the, the, the idea of that she wants to be more like Tulip, whatever that means, or she, she just found out that Jesse is actually available and, uh, so she's getting miles out of the way. All of that seems like really poor character development to me yeah and, and to me the best explanation i saw on reddit was basically and this is not a great explanation but it was basically that these are kind of like quentin tarantino characters and they're she feels trapped and of course nobody in the real world or very few people in the real world would do something like that just because they felt trapped but this is a character on a stylized television show, so she's going to feed that guy to a vampire, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I saw brought up on Reddit, though, that I thought was interesting that I wanted to bring up to you guys since you've read the comics, is somebody compares her to a woman in the comics named Amy Grinderbender, who was apparently a friend of childhood friend of Tulip's, who later on in the comics started following them all around but could never do anything they did because she had kids. And so they were trying to make that connection. Does that ring any bells for you guys? Hmm. I remember Amy. I don't remember her having kids. Um, I remember a specific scene where she and Jesse almost kiss. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he stays with Tulip. He's just kind of like, no, we can't do this. Yeah, and she plays like Tulip's best friend. Right. Yeah. Um, but they both, but she has a crush on Jesse too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's 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 there by, I think, just proximity of having a, another female character. But I don't see any direct relationship between the two characters. Okay. And then the last is that the- Reddit user is an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's stupid. Um, is the last thing in the episode the hell cycle thing, or is the last thing the voicemail that Tulip listens to? Tulip, it's the hell thing. Is it right? I don't remember. And it's uh, and the angels walk down, and then I'm like, all right, show me something. And then it was over. And I was mad. And this is hell. Okay. Yeah, either one of those two. <laughs> this is hell. So before that, we see Tulip finally arrives at... Carlos. Carlos. And I have to say, now, they're in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, She's she, in she, Albuquerque? Yeah, she said I'm she going to She gets there pretty fast. That's a good drive. All right. We have established she drives very fast. That's true. Good 180, point. right? I, I, uh, I don't know how many cops she I shot along my, the way. I my argument. But that, that's the time that she decides she has to do it. Yeah. Like when, when 
Everybody needs her. Sure. I don't understand. So this show sometimes. Yeah, I like the fact that nobody thought that she she's basically like giving Cassidy dogs and guinea pigs. Number one, she gave him a dog and it's now reverted back to guinea pigs. It seems like she should be building up the scale. <laughs> she gave him a dog and that wasn't good enough. So now <laughs> she's giving him gerbils. <laughs> gerbils. Well, she said not to go to the pound because the pound was on right, to her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so she's just getting whatever she can get. The, or no, not the pound, Pet Mart or something. The other thing is, it just seems like at some point you'd say, we need human blood. You know, so yeah. I don't know. He said he drank some from the blood bank, right? And it wasn't enough or it wasn't something. Uh, so I guess he needs like, a, it needs to be a fresh. Maybe it wasn't fresh enough. Fresh kill. Okay. Yeah. Cassie's recovery is pretty quick too in this episode, wasn't it? I mean, he's like this hairless golem creature. After, All right. And even then, after he, eating Miles. then he kills Miles. Yeah. No, I mean, but even after eating Miles, like when Jesse comes back. And then He's still Je- struggling. Well, well, Jesse apologizes, but when they're digging the hole, oh, Cassidy seems like Cassidy. He's, I didn't see. I didn't. I didn't. Pay I think it's the power of forgiveness. <laughs> sure, <laughs> it heals all wounds, Keith. Heals all wounds. So, oh, and one uh, thing I wanted to bring up about the uh, Emily uh, ditching Miles thing. They make it a point. I don't. I think this was maybe in the podcast, or I read it somewhere. Maybe I read it in the. I read it in the AV write up. Okay. Is there is a nice thematic connection at the end of that where, after she has, uh, fed Miles to Cassidy, she goes outside and tries to release these hamsters or gerbils that are now free. Right? They've lost their cage, and they don't know what to, what do. to do. They just stay in the same spot, which could be foreshadowing for Emily's future uh, motivations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Tulip and Carlos, finally. We see that Tulip visits Carlos. She's listening to that voicemail. Do you guys have uh, any take on that ending? I have a Reddit, another Reddit theory that I find to be very interesting that I think makes a lot of sense. Do you want me to go right into that? Yep. Yeah. All right. So I got nothing. The idea is that at one point in the season, Tulip mentioned that she had a kid, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, at a different point in the season, Carlos is called a baby killer or a kid killer. So the idea is that Jesse and Tulip had a baby or Tulip was pregnant with Jesse's kid, potentially. And Carlos somehow killed that baby, caused the miscarriage, killed the actually born kid. And that's why Tulip has been so dead set on getting Jesse to come with her to go see Carlos. Makes sense, right? Yeah. But I thought Carlos was the one that screwed them in the the robbery. Maybe that's just... Could be both. Yep. I mean, I don't know. Multitude of his sins. Okay. Yeah, because he he was definitely tied into the robbery because we have that flashback of Jesse maybe, maybe not shooting that guy. And then Carlos stitches them or something like that. But it could be, you know, one and the same. Who knows? All right. This was the penultimate episode. Mm -hmm. Yep. One more. Do do you think we see God next week? Um. Or do you think the phone doesn't work, and there's just a big explosion? Well, we have a couple of ideas, right? We, it could be the phone just doesn't work, because I think the idea, right, ultimately is that Jesse is going to leave Anvil. He, they have to get him out of Anvil, or they at least have to get him off of this path of saving Anvil, right? Do you think he makes God abscond from the throne? Do you think that phone call right. gets God's attention and is the inciting incident that causes him to to flee? And Jesse kind of does the Liam Neeson taken phone thing is basically like, 
I'm coming after you. <laughs> I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are, right? But I'm coming, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we can all agree that the idea is that Jesse is going to use the angel phone to call God, mm-hmm. and then he's going to try and use the word on God to get him to come to the mm-hmm. church, right? Yeah. So God is either not going to be there, and then he finds out God has left, a- abandoned ship, mm-hmm. or using the word on God is going to backfire in some way. <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't really imagine him making a phone call and then hearing like, hello? <laughs> right. <laughs> this is God. How can I help you? Be quick. Right. So something has to happen to get him. My, my, I guess my prediction is something is going to happen to get him out of Anvil. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I mean, I could see there's definitely an explosion coming to the church. Is that God's presence hitting and kind of the explosion of that? Uh, is the scene of killers going to come and similarly way lace, lay waste to a lot of people in the town? Is there going to be a combination of forces all coming to anvil at the end i don't know all right well thanks for listening to everything preacher you can subscribe to the podcast in itunes or the google play store our website is eipodcast.com you can find our preacher big board there you can also find links to everything we talked about in the episode Oh, did you want to even touch on the uh, email that we got? Oh, that's right. I did. Uh, We got an email. We got a very nice email from KJ who. uh, Oh, I know why you want to bring this up, because you made the (laughs) correction. (laughs) Yeah. So it was about Keith's correction last week about all of our mispronunciations. Uh, And we. You know, first and foremost, appreciate the feedback. Loved getting the email. But I just want to say, yeah, it's sometimes... Look, I think talking period is difficult, right? Like, we all have those moments where you're trying to say something passionately to somebody, and then you stumble on one word, and that person immediately throws it back in your face, (laughs) right? But it's always like, you know, give that person a couple days, and they'll end up doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just talking is hard and putting a microphone in front of your face makes it even harder, especially when you're not professionals, right? We're just three guys just trying Speak to for yourself. shoot the shit about Preacher. Um, so You're making it sound a little negative. KJ was very, very nice in the email and positive and just appreciated that Keith was, <laughs> that Keith acknowledged that we kept messing up. Absolutely. Um. I mean, he wasn't throwing it in her face. No, I, yeah, absolutely. It was, a, it was a great email. Yeah. But I'm just saying, if we do mispronounce things from time to time. When we do? Well, yeah. You, absolutely. When we do. I, I, When I mispronounce something, I am more aware of it than anybody else. <laughs> I guarantee you that. Um, but I do appreciate being kept honest by the listeners. So, you know, yeah, and the time it took to write it. You yeah, know, absolutely. Really yeah, it, it takes a lot of time to find the email address and then to send it out. It does take a lot of time. So I appreciate that. And I'll say fire away. If you want to keep pointing them out, keep pointing them out. Well, that's, that's <laughs> what I'm here for. Sure. I think I already corrected my mistake. I think everyone else is pretty, uh, pretty good. Sure. Uh, like I said, all those links on the website in the show notes. I wasn't I, listening. To I the think half of what you I think saying. after um, next week, we haven't talked about this yet, but the idea that I have is after next week's episode, which is the series, the season finale, we're gonna call God out, right. try and get him down here. We'll do one more bonus episode after that, and we'll just maybe go through our big board and go through all of our predictions and see what has and has not been answered and what is and is not correct. I like the idea of whoever has the most points is awarded preacher status. 
They're they're actually <laughs> a preacher. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. So that's what we'll do. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter. We are at EI Podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Blizzard with nine Z's. I'm at Things Come Right. I'm at Shiny underscore Raw. Uh, we have our own podcast, Keith and I. Everything's interesting. Who knows when the next episode will be? Pop Culture Podcast. <laughs> Rob, the end. <laughs> Rob, you have a podcast that Keith and I were just on. Yes, we talked Stranger Things this week. Another television it's, show. Yep. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it, right? It's a geek-centric um, podcast called Best of Three. Yeah, so uh, check that out. But thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>